Awesome. Well, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, so if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there, uh, 1 Samuel 16. We're start, <laughs> kind of funny. We're starting in the life of David uh, today for this month, and uh, so that's, that's where we're going to be, just some highlights out of David's life. So 1 Samuel 16, and let's, uh, let's pray as we get into God's Word this morning. Lord, thank you so much. Uh, for this morning. Thank you for um, the fact that we can get together in this place. We can sing uh, to you. We can uh, open our hearts um, in song and in, uh, and in coming to your word, Lord. Would you examine our hearts? Would you challenge our hearts? Would you encourage us? Would you uphold us by your word? Lord, thank you for the fact that as we look through the lives of all all of these uh, characters in Scripture, we see men and women who are flawed, who are broken, who don't have it all together, uh, who fail, who fall, and whom you love and whom you use and whom you restore and who you change. And so, Lord, this morning, as we look at the life of David, over the next few weeks, we already kind of know the rough outline of the story. He is called, he is anointed, he is chosen, you make a covenant with him, he fails horribly. And yet your covenant love remains. And so, Lord, may we take the encouragement from that, that Regardless of our journey, you are with us, you stick with us. And where we are faithless, you remain faithful. Lead and guidance, teach us, Holy Spirit, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last month we were looking at the character of Saul. Now he was chosen, he was the first king of Israel, and how when he was anointed by Samuel, he was empowered by the Spirit of God. However, his, his appointment came out of Israel's desire for a king so that they could be just like everybody else. So they could just fit into the world around them. And that was, that was how the kingship started. But God is going to redeem this misstep on Israel's part with his own chosen king. Saul failed as the king because he didn't follow what God had for him. He took it on himself and he rushed things. Rather than trying to turn the clock back to a pre-monarchy time, God didn't go, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's just go back to the way it was. He says, I'm going to choose a man to be king who's after my own heart. He doesn't just say, well, let's go back to the way it was. Because the world's changed, and, and some, you know, this, this is one thing I, I saw this, this the other day. It's like, we just want to go back to the way it was pre-2020. Well, um, guess what? The world's changed. We're not going back. Things are different. We can't keep looking to the past and hope that we can regain some sort of golden age of Canada or the church. We are here now in this moment in history for God's purposes, and the past is a past. You can't do anything about it. The present and the future 
are all we have. And so we need to press into that. We can't turn the clock back. And God doesn't turn the clock back here. He doesn't say, well, kingship, I knew it wouldn't work, so we're just going to cut it off and we're going to go back to judges. Well, judges didn't work all that well, did it? We can't go back to the Sinai Desert because I made a promise that the people would live in this chosen land. And I also made provision already that when a king comes, there's a way that he can rule. In 1 Samuel 16, we see God taking the lead. Let's stand together as we read from 1 Samuel chapter 16. <clears throat> The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse and the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for my, myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shemama pass by. Wouldn't that be a great name? Name your kid. Hey, Shamama, come on. Yeah, just kind of stuck out to me. Said, so neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your sons? And he said, there remains yet the younger, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit of God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite who is skillful at playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David 
his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly because, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is the word of the Lord. So three things we're going to look at out of this chapter today, and that is the future king is chosen by the Lord. He's chosen by the Lord. He is anointed by the prophet, and he becomes a servant to the king. Chosen, anointed, and a servant. So the future king is chosen by the Lord. This this stands, of course, in contrast to how Saul was anointed because Samuel, all the people came to him and said, hey, we want a king like everybody else. And Samuel's grieved by this and he goes to God and God says, just do for them what I tell you, uh, but also warn them that it's not gonna turn out as well as they think. And we don't know how long God has waited since the end of chapter 15 that we looked at a few weeks ago. But Samuel is grieving for how things have turned out. You know, it's, it's okay to grieve when things go south. We don't just have to say, well, God rejected him, therefore, meh. Grieve. Enter a season of grief when people walk away from God and his purposes for their lives. Samuel was heartbroken by the failure of Saul and his kingship. This time, however, God was going to do all the work. He had already selected someone to replace Saul. In fact, we've known about this since the end of the book of Ruth. Right? The very end of the book of Ruth, the whole point of the book of Ruth is, you know, Ruth marries uh, Boaz, Boaz and Ruth have a son, and it's Obed, and Obed's the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. So the whole point of the book of Ruth isn't go find your Boaz. The whole point of the book of Ruth is that there's an outsider woman who is the grandmother of David, and she's not even supposed to be allowed in the family line. It's, that's actually the point of the whole story. It comes up again in Matthew's gospel. But we've known that Jesse will be the father of King David since the end of the book of Ruth. But Samuel doesn't know the story of Ruth. In the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't come till after Judges. It it doesn't come after Judges. It comes way later in, in in the timeline of when things were written. That's the difference between the event of a text and the actual text itself. Sometimes we don't think about it that way. The Gospel Project doesn't approach it this way at all, but the text of Ruth and the text of Samuel is written way after the events. Because Samuel ends and Kings goes in and it ends in the exile. So sometimes we have to change our thinking and say, what is this saying to people in exile? That's a whole other rabbit trail. We'll save that for a special course. Samuel doesn't know that story. Samuel oddly actually seems to approach this whole situation the same way he did the first time, right? God tells him, get oil. There's a man, it's gonna, I'm going to appoint 
him for, you're, I'm going to reveal him to you. And the first guy that comes up is tall, strong, and handsome, and just like Saul. So Samuel's like, yep, this is the guy. Got to be the guy. And God's like, no, wrong. We're doing it differently this time. Notice in verses 6 to 7 how often the words look or see happen six times in two verses. The reliance on the faculty of sight and on outward appearance needs to be overcome. God's chosen king isn't obvious. He's not going to stand out, head and shoulders above the other. <clears throat> That's been done. Didn't work out so well. So Jesse and the others, well, they don't get it either, right? They go through this whole thing. Seven sons come before Samuel, and none of them who are God is after now, it's interesting, if you go into Chronicles and a few other places, there's only seven sons of Jesse, not eight. And so what's going on here? Well, some scholars believe that what, what the author's doing here is he's saying, Jesse brought every, the complete thing before him, and when God uses an eighth, it means that there's a new beginning. And so there's more of a symbolic thing around this. David's out with the sheep. For whatever reason, it's not given. David's out with the sheep, and we, we tend to say, well, he was the youngest, he was overlooked, he wasn't important, but we're reading stuff into the text maybe from the stories later on. David's out with the sheep. No one's told Samuel. Samuel hasn't even told them the purpose, right? He's only coming there to offer sacrifice and kind of lead a church service for the people. He didn't say, hey, I'm coming to anoint a king, because if Saul heard about that, that would have ended it pretty quickly. So he's kind of doing this on the sly. He's doing it through kind of, don't want to say deception really, but he's got a bit of a ruse. God gave it to him. He's there to offer sacrifices to the Lord, lead a worship celebration for the people of Bethlehem. This is within Samuel's role as priest and prophet and judge. David's out in the fields watching the sheep. Well, somebody had to do it. Whether it's oversight or David just fulfilling his role in the family, we don't necessarily need to look for a negative here. What we do need to recognize is that God's evaluation had nothing to do with David's social status or occupation or age or anything that we often use to judge a person's qualifications for leadership. Warren Wiersbe notes that God didn't call people who were taking the day off and hanging around with nothing better to do. He says this, God calls people who are busy, not people who are looking for ways to avoid responsibility. Moses, Gideon, Elisha, Nehemiah, Amos, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, they were all busy when the Lord called them. They all had jobs, they all had lives, they all had family, and yet God called them into special ministry for a special time in their life. You know, it's interesting, you know, in, in, uh, in, in Moses' call, you've got Moses and he's herding the sheep for his father-in-law and Moses already has two sons. And he, so he's got a family and he's got a job and he's out in the wilderness and God calls him. And then, you know, they, once he gets going, Moses sends his wife and sons back to the father-in-law and we don't meet them again for, for quite a while. There was a season where Moses had to focus on one thing that God gave him. God doesn't call people who have nothing better to do, but those who are engaged in everyday work, in everyday life, who have responsibilities to families and jobs that need doing. 
And just because we might be busy with a career or family doesn't put us outside the call of God for something unique and different. God may be using the season of life that you're in right now and the occupation you are in right now to prepare you for what's coming, but he may be calling you right in the midst of what you're doing right now. So I know a few of us are kind of thinking, am I too old to be a cabin leader? The answer is no. Right. You know, maybe God's put you in a place where you can take a week off and go help at camp in August because they need some help. Tim didn't ask me to do that or to pay me for it either, so. (coughs) Hasn't asked me yet. (coughs) I've been thinking about it, though. Warren Wearsby continues, David has been faithful as a servant over a few things, and God promoted him to being a ruler over many things. (coughs) From a flock to a whole nation. See, unlike Saul, David could be trusted with exercising authority because he had been given, he had been under, uh, under authority, and he proves himself faithful. He proves himself faithful as he does simple things, taking care of the sheep, taking some bread and cheese and going to his brothers on the front line. It's a good kid. And God's looking for that kind of heart. God's looking at the heart, the inner character, the fortitude, and he finds in David something he doesn't find in anyone else. And he commits himself to David in a way that is startlingly new in the story so far in the Bible. So God has selected David. And as we go through his story and we get into 2 Samuel 7, we'll see God makes a covenant with David that's completely one-sided. God says, I am going to do this. I am committing myself to you. Your kingdom is going to last forever. And there's no conditions. And even in this text, we get the beginning of that because when the future king is anointed, look at what happens, verses 11 to 13. Actually, we can just jump to 12. He sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes and was handsome, and the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now, if we think back to Saul's story, it was very different, wasn't it? There were signs. There was, go here, do this. The Spirit will come upon you. You'll prophesy. You'll join this group. uh, And and different things will happen. But there's nothing here. I wonder if everyone was thinking what everyone was thinking when Samuel did this and didn't say anything about the anointing or its purpose. What's significant in this moment is the simplicity and the permanence of what happens. In Saul's story, there was the anointing, the coming of the Spirit, the prophecy, and it all happened very differently, and Saul was rather reluctant. He was hiding among the baggage. In David's case, it happens all at once. The anointing and the rushing of the Spirit upon him. However, the narrator author tells us nothing of David speaking here. 
but simply of God's choice and God's abiding presence. There's no signs, there's no journey, there's no joining the prophets. God commits himself to David unconditionally. From that day on, the Spirit was upon him. And the author that's writing this knows the rest of the story. All right, he's not just writing this going, wow, I wonder what's going to happen next. No, and he's not just following David around. He's writing this knowing the whole story of where David goes and what David does and how he fails. The Spirit was still on him because God commits himself to David. He is anointed by the prophet and God commits himself unconditionally. David is anointed. The Spirit comes upon him in a permanent way and that's it. Samuel goes home. David goes back to the sheep and the scene changes. Suddenly we're in the court of Saul and the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David from that day forward. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. With that, everything starts to change. The servants of Saul suggest that music's going to help. This is one of my favorite passages ever. Get a guitar player to sit in the corner, play for you. You'll feel better. And guitar player, you always have a gig because people are always going to feel bad. It's a broken world. <clears throat> Servants of Saul suggest music's going to help with his state of mind or heart. However, we understand this tormenting spirit from God. The narrator, author, has no trouble viewing this as under the providence of God. Somehow, one of Saul's servants has heard that David plays well. Again, like one of these big question marks. How do they know this guy hanging out in the fields out in Bethlehem is a good musician? Like, has he got like a YouTube page going or something? <laughs> like, how do they know? But they know, hey, we know this kid who plays really well, so let's get him to come and be a court musician. And it says... Saul's torment was eased. In fact, the text tells us that Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And we get to the David and Goliath story next week. We'll have to figure out how this works because it seems that Saul had no idea who David was. And, you know, try my armor on. Let's see if it fits you. Hey, David's the armor bearer. Uh, how does this go together? We may have more questions after that. But here's what happens. God has rejected Saul, and through David, and though David has been chosen and anointed as the future king, notice that David does not presume upon his calling. He humbly serves the king he will one day replace. He enters the service of a king who will hunt him down, be jealous of him, will actually huck spears at him, who will seek to kill him. Of course, all that's to come, and David doesn't know this, but God does. And I find this just so fascinating that, that you know, when, when, when Samuel comes and when he anoints someone, everybody kind of knows what that means. Samuel doesn't have to tell him what it means. When Samuel comes and anoints someone and selects somebody specifically, this is the, he is the king maker. He is the king anointer. We know Everybody knows this is exactly what this would communicate. David is now chosen to replace Saul. Now he's like serving in his presence. And remember what I said last week when we looked at this is that how long was it between 
his anointing and when he became king. 18 years. 18 years. So also just because God calls and anoints you doesn't mean you're ready for what he ultimately has for you. Just because God has anointed and sent his spirit to be with David does not mean he is ready to take on the kingship. God may have a call on someone's life, but there may be a long period of preparation that needs to take place. In David's case, about 18 years. And those years were very, very hard. There was no easy path to the throne for David. Just because God calls and empowers us to serve his purposes doesn't mean life gets easy. It may mean that the journey we are on will be harder than ever. I wonder how often David wished he could just go back to being a shepherd. Kind of like Bilbo in The Hobbit, right? How many times in The, in the Hobbit does, does, does Tolkien say, and he thought of his warm chair by the fire and his tea and not for the last time. <laughs> 18 years, and it was a hard life. God will not waste our pain. Whatever journey you've had to endure, God will not waste the pain of that journey. We've somehow bought into this idea that following Jesus just makes life happy, happy, happy all the time. And we teach our kids songs like that. But following Jesus doesn't mean happy, happy, happy all the time. The world hates me, it's going to hate you too. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds because you know the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. Perseverance will produce hope. Think of Joseph, think of Moses, David, Peter, Paul, ultimately Jesus. Anointed by God and dwelt by the Spirit does not give us a pain-free, easy life. However, it does give us hope because God will not waste our pain. David takes the place of a servant. He takes a place of humility under Saul's authority. And in time, he will face rejection and persecution from Saul. And in David's life, we see a preview of Jesus. He was in the world, John 1, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Paul, reflecting on this in Philippians 2, says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus was the anointed son of God, empowered by the spirit 24-7. No sin in his life, no blocked access to God the Father, the ability to heal the sick, raise the dead, and speak life wherever he went. And his life was hard. 
It was full of pain. Man of sorrows and acquainted with sufferings. David is called and chosen to be king of Israel. After his anointing by Samuel, there could be no doubt it was going to happen, but David chooses the way of humble service to Saul and patience to wait on the working and the timing of God. And as we read David's life under Saul, we will see that David does not presume on God's anointing at all. He never pushes himself forward. Remember when Samuel had to confront Saul over the sacrifice, what did Saul say? Well, you weren't coming, so I forced myself. David doesn't do that. David waits on God, and David, we see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control when it comes to his relationship with Saul. The fruit of the Spirit is only evident in how we treat others. And I think also how we, in this case, how we respond to those in authority over us. Is it the fruit of the Spirit coming out in our lives? Or is it the fruit of the sinful nature? David starts out as an overlooked youngest child, just a shepherd doing his job, while the rest of the family goes on to an important celebration. He then becomes a court musician playing in the corner. Doesn't seem a lot like king material, does he? But God is at work. And there's so much more to the story. So we wrap up today, some questions to think about this week. As followers of Jesus, we balance this wonderful truth that we're called, we're chosen, sanctified to the Lord with the sobering fact that each of us is called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Confidence in our identity in Christ while being humble and accepting the difficulties of life and service. We can aid our own understanding and belief in these principles as we study the Bible, remembering not only who God is, but who we are in Christ, and then how Christ lived out his life, and what our lives should look like as we seek to reflect him. So, first question, in what way am I out of balance in my God-ordained confidence and my Christ-led sacrifice? In what way am I out of balance and God-ordained confidence, this is who God made me to be? And my Christ-led call to sacrifice, to lay down my life for others. Second question, in asking someone to come to a position, in, even in our local church, you know, we might say, hey, well, the pastor asked me, or the nominating committee, or the nominating process uh, put my name forward, but what if we could all answer this? God called me to this, and he set me apart for his service. How would that change our hearts and our attitudes about serving in the nursery, helping out with youth group, cleaning the bathrooms, helping with coffee? See, David, called, or David was called to be king, and that led him to serve his rival. God's calling is different for each of us but it is no less intentional. So here's the question. How has your attitude toward God's calling on your life affected your view of your position of service? 
Last question. Sometimes God calls us to big tasks and we feel overwhelmed. Sometimes he calls us to lesser assignments and we feel undervalued or unimportant. Yet every calling of the Lord has the same truth. We are called by the Lord and he will empower us for that calling. So instead of being intimidated by the size or belittled by the same thing, we should instead echo the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Here am I, send me. So what is God calling? What is God's calling for your life in this season that you're in right now? What does that mean? And how are you fulfilling the path that he has for you? Let's pray. Lord, it's amazing to see some of the simplicity of David's story. That here's a kid who's just herding sheep and he's called in from the field and he's anointed by you and the Spirit rushes upon him and then he's just back to herding sheep. No appreciable change in his life. He's doing the same stuff, playing songs, writing hymns, tending sheep. And yet your hand was on him, your hand was guiding him. And so, Lord, may we just accept in this season your, uh, your call on our lives. Lord, whatever you've called us to do, help us to, help us to discern the moment Help us to discern how you have equipped us throughout our lives, how you've uh, called us to yourself. And then, Lord, help us to walk in that, in the fruit of the Spirit, being attentive to your leading, patient, kind to those around us, loving, encouraging. And Lord, you may even call us to serve those who will be against us. Help us to do that with the heart of David, who even when he had the chance to end it, didn't take it. And so, Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. As we reflect on David's life over this month, may you turn our hearts towards you and thank you for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.